Hallelujah. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word as you open the, your Bibles up to the book of Psalms, Psalm 128. As we continue our summer in Psalms today, as you're turning there, our children for Kids Church, kindergarten through sixth grade, they are dismissed to Kids Church. Psalm 128, we find another song of ascent that we talked about and introduced last week. Psalms that would be sung as they would make their way to the tabernacle in their pilgrimages of worship. Specifically, the priests would even sing them as they would climb the steps. And this is what Psalm 128 says. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. God, I thank you and I praise you for your word this morning. And I pray that God, for these next few moments, that God, that you will encourage us, that you will challenge us, that you will meet us right where we are, God, and lead us into that next step in our spiritual journey of growth and, and growing uh, closer to you, God. And so, Lord, I just ask for your anointing. I ask for you to truly pour out your spirit upon us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I'm going to follow Pastor Josh's lead, and I'm going to share another good Father's Day dad joke with you. You know why dads take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing, don't you? In case they get a hole in one. a good response, Johnny. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to the dads that are in the house. Happy Father's Day to those that are able to either be with your dad or to speak to your father. For those that are not, my encouragement to you today is let us continue to give God thanks for the dads in our life that got to be a part of our lives. Dads are a blessing. They're designed, God has intended for dads to be a blessing in our lives. And Psalm 128 addresses or brings us to this place of talking about blessings. And, and specifically, there are some very key elements here that when we look at, we understand this, this idea of kingdom blessing. And I, I am going to lean into it a little 
this morning with regards to our dads, with regards to the men in the house, whether you are a dad or not. But these principles and these things that we're going to be talking about go beyond just men, go beyond just dads, and truly apply to all of us. You see, one of the things that we think about blessings, I think if I were to ask the question, how many of us want a blessing or how many of us want uh, to experience blessings, I, I don't know of any person in here that would say, no, I don't, I don't want any blessings in my life. We all want blessing. We all specifically want God's blessings in our life. And in Scripture, a blessing, it refers to the favor and the goodness of God that has been designed to not just flow into our lives, but to also flow out of our lives. And so that when we think about blessings, blessings is not just a, a, a something that we need to uh, say, God, Lord, bless me with uh, provision or bless me with health. The idea, and our, if we're going to have the right heart, is not just to ask for those things and then they stop with us. But it should be with the heart and the mentality of allowing those blessings to flow into the lives of the people around us. You see, the moment a blessing stops with us, it ultimately it cancels the fullness of the blessing because blessings are intended to go through us and impact the lives of other people around us. In other words, that God wants us to allow be a river of blessings, meaning that, uh, that there are blessings flowing into our lives and through our lives instead of us becoming uh, a pond or to use the biblical geography then instead of becoming the Dead Sea. The reason the Dead Sea is just that is because there is water that flows into it, but there is no water that flows out of it. And because of that, it is inhospitable. It does not allow there to be life. Uh, the, the, the salt content and everything else that is there in the Dead Sea, nothing good and worthwhile is able to truly live there. And so we don't need to be that example, but rather we need to be a, a, a vessel that God is able to move in us and move through us. Uh, Paul writes about this idea of blessing and being a blessing in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, he says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so when we assess and begin to take count of the good things in our life, we just sang about the goodness of God and and, and we can all go around and testify of good things in our lives, good things that we uh, have experienced, and whether that's tangible or whether it's uh, like finances or a house or whether it's intangible like uh, love and, 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 and the people that we, that we live life with. And, and regardless, the, the intention is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so if God blesses us with things, his intention is to also for us to share in those things. And so for dads, we need to be able to ask ourselves, if for any of us, really, if we want blessings in our life, how willing are we to share those blessings? I believe that everybody in here is going to say, oh, I, I'm glad to share God's blessings. I'm, sh I'm glad to share in what God blesses me with. But what about our motivation in being able to uh, allow God's blessings to flow into our life? That we live in a very 
me-centered society, and, and we live in a very, uh, we sound like the seagulls from uh, Finding Nemo, and, and if you know anything about that, the seagulls say, mine, 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 mine. And they declare that everything is supposed to be theirs. And, and in our world, our culture, it, it, it kind of perpetuates that. And, and if we're not careful, we as believers, we begin to think that we can have this selfish or self-centered mentality. But God wants us to be able to say, I want to be a blessing to you uh, so that you can be a blessing into your family and to those that are around you. We see that played out in Abraham. We see it played out throughout Scripture. And in Psalm 128, and this is all about the blessings of God, the blessings of the kingdom of God. And specifically, there are uh, four things that become attached to it. And the first thing that we see is that the blessings of the Lord are going to come to those who fear the Lord. Now, when I talk about fear, I don't want us to think like horror movie kind of fear. Okay? Fear, Psalm 128, uh, tells us that, that we will be blessed if we fear the Lord and we walk in his ways. The Hebrew word there for fear is actually, uh, the, 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 this definition, the description there, is a combination of this idea of awe and dread, or a dread fear. And so there is this reverent awe that comes about that we need to have when it comes to our relationship with God. And so what, we, that, what this really means in real life is that we need to take God seriously by coming in under his authority and his covering. Do we truly take God seriously? If I were just to ask that question, I think every person in here would say, yes. Well, I'm at church on Sunday morning. I'm here, I'm here on Father's Day. I take God seriously. However, we live in the day. Casual Christian seems to be politely Christian by simply acknowledging God, but not really taking God seriously. Uh, a good example, how many of you have what they would call a lead foot when driving down the highway? Okay, a few of you are honest. I had my hand up, my hand's up. And so what happens when um, we are driving, especially if we have a lead foot, what happens when we are driving down the highway? Um, we are looking out for that police officer, aren't we? And when the police officer either shows up on our Waze app or the radar detector goes off or we know that we see one, then what do we do? What instinctively happens every single time, whether we are speeding or not? There's two reactions. The first thing is we immediately look at our speedometer, don't we? Okay? The second thing that happens is instinctively our foot comes off of the gas pedal. Okay? Those two things happen regardless of what happened, what, how fast we are going because we lose track of it. We lose sight of sometimes our speed. Maybe we're intentionally speeding, but sometimes we're just driving down the road and we're going with traffic, and the next thing you know, it's like, whoa, how fast am I going? And, and we have to have this reality check in that moment. But, and so what happens when that police officer gets in behind us? Our palms get sweaty. Our, you know, we look at the speedometer. Our, you know, we make sure we've got our hand, both hands on the steering wheel and we're not being distracted by anybody else or anything else. And then all of a sudden, uh, the police officer decides that he's going to take the exit. 
behind us that we just passed. And we all go, praise Jesus. And we say, we'll never speed again. But what happens 10 minutes down the road, Josh? We're speeding again, aren't we? Some of y'all are disagreeing with my assessment of 10 minutes down the road. For some of us, it's as soon as we get past that underbridge of the exit. <laughs> I hear name calling out here all of a sudden. Oh, oh wow. We've had a real cord here, haven't we? It's about to get real turned in a hurry here. Because here it is. Sometimes our approach to God is like our approach to police officers when we're driving down the highway. We say we take God seriously, but that seriousness really only comes into play when we're in trouble, when we're in need, or when we're in crisis. And the reality is, is that God is, is not just this authority figure who's, who's riding behind us in a police car waiting to turn his lights on when we go, you know, just one or two miles over the speed limit. That is, that is not the heartbeat of God, but God wants to be with us every single step of the way. And when we take God seriously, we understand that God is omniscient, meaning that he, uh, he knows everything, and that he is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere. And whether we think uh, that, unlike a police officer, if we think we can ever escape uh, the, the purview of God, we are sorely mistaken. And we need to be able to understand that as we walk through this life, and as we walk in the ways of God, that God is with us, He sees us, He knows us, and He is present with us. There is no place that we can go where we can escape His view. And that means, oh, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what and how do we act and speak and live when nobody else is watching? How do we conduct our life? Because if it's any different, then we're not taking God seriously. We are not coming before him. On the flip side of that, I don't want us to fall into this trap of thinking that uh, God is just some uh, judge just lording over us and, and holding this over our heads because the reality is, is that him being omniscient and him being omnipotent, it means that he is present in our life and, oh, and he is also all-powerful and he is able to move within us. And when we need things and we need to call upon him and we need that, uh, that lifting of the burdens that we face and we need that lifting of our head and we need picking up out of the trap that we've fallen into. Oh, guess what? God is always there. All we have to do is call upon him. Oh, but I want to challenge us today. Let us make sure, oh, that God is not just an escape hatch clause. Oh, but rather he is an everyday kind of living. That we are walking after him. That we are living in a reverent fear and awe of who God is and that we live our life accordingly no matter what we're going through. You see, to fear God it means to acknowledge him as Lord over our lives and to align our actions, our words, and our thoughts accordingly. That means that we're going to be mindful of God and how we use our time. We're going to be mindful of God and how we use our, our money. and We're going to be mindful of God and how we treat other people around us. We're going to be mindful of God and how we conduct business and how we do our work and our job. 
we are going to take God seriously instead of casually. My prayer is that we do not come to the place where we are simply giving God what's left. But that we are truly putting him first. Because if we're taking God seriously, guess what we're going to do? We're going to put him first. This month, I think, they were celebrating Queen Elizabeth's 95th birthday. If I understood right, her birthday, I think, was actually in April. I think that's right. Uh, but, uh, but they were celebrating in the month of June. Let's just play a hypothetical game for a moment. And let's just say that Queen Elizabeth, for her 95th birthday, she decided she wanted to take a trip to see America. And in this trip to see America, she wanted to see how real people live. And so one day you get a phone call from Buckingham Palace, and they say, in part of her birthday month-long celebration, the queen is going to come to your house this Tuesday night. <laughs> Tina's saying it's okay as long as they send the butler to come with her ahead of time. So immediately, what happens, whether, you know, if we get that phone call, who's the first person we're calling after that? We're calling our spouse. Honey, the queen's coming to dinner. And so after the heart attack happens, after, you know, the panic attack, you know, we hyperventilate, all that kind of stuff, we begin to make preparations. And you begin to say, what is the best meal that we can cook to serve the queen? I got all sorts of suggestions coming at me right now. So, but what happens if you say that to your spouse, and all of a sudden your spouse says, you know what? That fried chicken we had Sunday for dinner, we've still got about half of the chicken still left in the fridge. We'll heat that up. We've got the, the kids didn't eat all that green bean casserole. They didn't like it very much. So we'll heat that up and we'll serve that and we can put that together with the tacos that are left over from Taco Bell that are sitting in the refrigerator. And that's what we'll serve the queen when she comes to dinner. After Josh, he's right there. He's right there. Would any, we would be mortified and embarrassed, wouldn't we, to serve the queen our leftovers out of the fridge. The things that you have to smell before you heat up to serve your family, right? You know? We've all been there. My mentality is I have a stomach of steel. Nuke it. It'll be all right. Okay? But on a serious note, we would be mortified to do that. But how many times do we give God our leftovers? Our leftover time? Our leftover of service? Our leftovers of our finances? And if we're going to live in the blessings of Psalm 128. <laughs> it says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. We need to make sure that our priorities are in line and that God is truly first and that we are able to uh, take that and we uh, put that in our personal relationship and with God and that we are able to say, God, I want to give you the first and foremost of everything. This is what 
uh, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 9 in the New Living Translation says, he says, go ahead, and he's talking about Israel, and, and they've given God his, their leftovers. And he says, go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all, asks the Lord of heaven's armies. When we give God our leftovers, this becomes what the angels are saying, saying, hey, wait a second. You're going to come asking for blessings that you're not willing to give. And so what we have to be able to say is we're going to put God first. We're going to, so many times we're looking for the cheap deal. We're looking for uh, the best deal rather than just saying, God, I'm going to give you my best. God, I'm going to give you my first. I'm going to give you the first and foremost of everything that I've got. And if we can do that, oh, what, the, what Psalm 128 tells us, that there's a promise of blessings, uh, blessings of, uh, of, of a future, blessings of, uh, of fortune and provision, blessings of happiness even. And so these blessings come, and, and these are blessings that every single one of us would say, God, I want to be able to experience that. Oh, but the predicate on that, the, the preface to that is that we've got to make sure that we are walking in the ways of the Lord and that we are fearing Him. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 16 when He was talking to the disciples. He said, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world, for my sake, will find it. That is, life with me for all eternity. That word life, leave, that, leave verse 25 up for me. That word life that Jesus used, there's a lot of different, there's several different Greek words for life. But the particular Greek word that God used here, is life that means our, our essence, our soul, our, uh, the very uh, vital force of who we are and the vital force of our living and being. And I believe it is by no coincidence that Jesus used that Greek word in this context because it's more than just a physical life. It's more than just uh, our flesh and our body. Oh, but he's talking about who we are. He's talking about the very core of our being. Uh, and he's talking about our values and what makes us us. He's talking about our essence and that part of us that will continue into eternity. And he says, we've got to lose it. Give it to him. And therein lies the rub that in between this life and, and, and our life as a Christian and, and, and the world. And because the biggest problem when we read Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, the biggest problem in the world today is not the government, it's not foreign leaders, it's not even going to be terrorism or anything else. The biggest problem in the world today is going to be found inside of us. Us. And he says, we've got to crucify that. We've got to learn to say no to ourselves. And when we do, that means that, oh, that we are going to be able to walk in his statutes. We're going to be able to walk in his way. And these blessings that come, one of the blessings that come is the blessings of our families. And the 
promise here to uh, men, but to all of us this morning, is that he calls us to be able to, uh, to, be able to nurture and to love our there's two word pictures that God uses in Psalm 128 with family. He refers to uh, the wife as being uh, the fruitful vine, and he refers to the children as being olive plants. Anybody like gardening? What I love about gardening is being able to nurture and take care of and then either enjoy the vegetables that come out of it or enjoy the beautiful flowers that come. Right now, I have been, we have been enjoying uh, hydrangea bushes that are this beautiful shade of purple right now. Multiple blooms all over it. But do you know when we planted those hydrangea bushes? I think five years ago. We almost killed them one year. Last year, we resurrected them. And then three years ago, they, looked, they, had, they were healthy. Last year, they put out some beautiful blooms. This year, even bigger and even more blooms. And it's in that process that we're able to see God nurturing through rain and through our care and to bringing something that is beautiful. When we, men, let me just talk to you just for a second. When we nurture and love our families... It is not something that happens overnight. It is not something that just takes place in just a moment. Oh, but with time, what we see is that if we will cultivate, nurture, and love, we will see the beautiful fruit that come from the vine. We will see the olive plants. We will see that same premise come true and ring, for every, ring true for every single one of us. What is interesting is when we went to the Museum of the Bible, I got to, we went into this one uh, room where they recreated an ancient village, you know, in Bible times. And in the center of it, there was this olive tree. This, and part of what they had done was they were doing some teaching. And I was just amazed to learn that olive trees take about 15 years before they mature enough to produce fruit. 15 years. Sounds like parenting teenagers. It takes time to bear fruit, right? But once they start producing fruit, if they're taken care of properly, Guess how long they will continue to produce fruit? More than 2,000 years. Why? Because they have the root system that goes deep enough to withstand times of drought and storms and everything else. And from what I'm told, there are olive trees in Israel today that they know are more than 2,000 years old and are still producing olives. That becomes amazing. And it's here in this mindset, in this mode, that I begin to think about us as parents, if you are a dad, but for all of us, we need to make sure that if we're going to walk in the ways of God and we're going to have a fear of the Lord, uh, that we are going to cultivate and that we are going to nurture and that we are going to love our family. In order to do that, that means that we need roots ourselves. Parents, we've got to have roots if we expect and want our children to have spiritual roots. We've got to have those roots. 
we've got to be able to say, husbands, uh, if, if we're going to be able to say that our wives are going to be like a fruitful vine, one of the premises of a, of a grapevine is, is that you have to continually uh, lift up uh, the different aspects or the different branches of that vine. Why? Because when the vines are down in, on the ground, they get dirty, they get muddy, and they will not produce fruit. But when they are lifted up out of the muck and out of the mire, guess what they do? They produce beautiful fruit. And we as husbands need to make sure as dads that we are always lifting up and encouraging and, and, and being able to proclaim life into our families and into our spouses. We need to be doing, doing that. The third thing that we see here is that not only do we need to fear God, not only do we need to nurture our family, but we need to be able to love our church family. The Lord, in verse 5 of our text, the Lord bless you out of Zion. Zion is a term that is used for not just Jerusalem as a whole, but is used specifically with regards to the mountain and the temple mount. And what is being referenced here is that, that there becomes a blessing that comes out of Zion, out of church, out of the temple. And it is the church that is the avenue with which God reveals and communicates his plan for his kingdom here on earth, the ethical, the, the, the social, the economic aspects of the kingdom of God, and all that comes about. Why? Oh, through the church and through you and I. If you've ever traveled internationally, uh, you are probably familiar with uh, embassies. And uh, when, uh, when I, growing up, we lived, as you know, my dad was stationed in Australia. And, and so I remember there being a couple of times that my parents had to take care of some um, business, immigration kind of stuff, and so we had to go to the U.S. Embassy in Australia, and when we go, you know, it's got all the guards and, and all that kind of stuff, and it just kind of blew my mind to think that even though we were in Australia, when I stepped into the U.S. Embassy property, guess where I was? I was on U.S. soil. I was on American soil, and that meant that every law, every, every aspect of the American government and culture, guess what? It was present, even though I was physically located in another country, uh, for that was like this, and that was the U.S. Embassy. It was the embassy of the United States government into Australia, and it was there to be able to provide and to help and to help take care of American citizens, and when I think about God's intention of the church, the reason that we as individuals need to be walking in fear of the Lord and pursuing Him so that we can walk in blessings is because we are a part of God's embassy to this earth, and that is called the church. God desires for this church, for every church, to be able to be a part of being able to demonstrate God's kingdom into a world that is lost and dying in without hope. Oh, but when we come in, oh, that we don't have to operate, oh, in our own worldly standards, but we get to come into the house of God and we get to be encouraged, we get to be challenged, we get to be grounded, we get to be discipled in the kingdom of God and in his word so that when we go outside of these walls, all of a sudden we can be, uh, we can be those missionaries, we can be those, uh, those carriers of the kingdom of God and his principles to the world around us. 
And if we're just making it all about us, we miss that opportunity. The church is supposed to be a little bit of heaven that is a long way from home. And the fourth and final thing, we're moving along here. Is that we need to connect to Jesus. He says at the end of verse 5, And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children in peace be upon Israel. UGA announced that this football season that they will be full capacity at Sanford Stadium. Georgia fans are excited about that, aren't they? What would happen, not to pick on Justin, but Justin's right here. So. <laughs> Imagine, Justin, if you went and were there to cheer on the Georgia Bulldogs, and you were watching the pregame, you watched them huddle up on the sideline, you watched the pep talk by Coach Kirby Smart, there before the team goes out and we'll just say the offense goes out on the field first, they huddle up, they call the play and all of a sudden you decide, I've seen all I need to see today, I'm going home. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> Why would it not happen? And the reason it wouldn't happen is because Justin and, and everybody else in the stadium doesn't go to the football game just to watch the football team huddle up. They spent too much money on parking. They spent too much money on tickets. They spent too much money on concessions. No, we, we don't go to a sporting event, and, and specifically a football game, just to watch the team have a pep talk and get, get fired up and watch the, and watch the what do they call the video they show before the game starts? Hype video, thank you. We don't go just we don't go to the game just to watch the hype video and watch the pep talk and all of that stuff and, and watch the team get into a huddle and call a play. We want to see them actually go out onto the field and execute what we've just been hyped about. When we, as Christians, make life all about us, and we make church into Help me, Lord. How can church serve me, Lord? How can church benefit me, Lord? And we make it all about that. It basically means it's the same concept as if the Georgia Bulldogs sold tickets, invited everybody in, and all they did was get in a huddle, and they never went out and executed a play. But what God calls us to do is to be able to come and to be encouraged, to be discipled, to be equipped, to be encouraged, so that when we walk outside of these walls, that we can have the same context as breaking the huddle as a football team, and that we can go and that we can fulfill the kingdom of God and the command of God, the commission of God, into the world that is out and around us. Meaning that we're ready to go, and we're ready to connect to the, to the world around us. We're ready to go and to share 
good news. We're ready to go and share truth and hope and love. And we become vocal about that. And we don't just keep everything to ourselves, but we say, declare, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. And that is not just a, 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 a pastor's thing. It's not just an evangelist calling. That is the calling for every single person in this room, every single believer, every single Christian. That is what God has called us to do. As the musicians come this morning, let me remind us of two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know a whole lot about, well, we know some things about Lot and his wife and his family. But there's a lot of things we don't know. My question, I guess, if I was going to have one with regards to Lot would be this. If Lot was found faithful to the Lord, meaning he had a heart for God, who was he living life with in his community? Because the Bible says that if Abraham could find but just ten, ten people that love God, the cities would be spared. Not only could Abraham not find ten, God couldn't find ten. describe Sodom and Gomorrah it was a deteriorated society homosexuality had become the norm violence ran rampant in the streets as people threatened and carried out murder and rape it was a time of oppression injustice economic instability and if we describe Sodom and Gomorrah in that way there's no denying that it sounds a lot like our time today. Lot failed to live as a man of God in his downtrodden community. And it led to the downfall of not just Sodom and Gomorrah, even in his own family. But what if? What if Lot had been a man of God who feared God in every way, who walked in the ways of God, who nurtured and cared for and tended to his family spiritually? What if he had been a man of God who had loved his church family? Apparently there wasn't one. What kind of impact could have been made in Sodom and Gomorrah? 
question is what kind of impact can be made in our world today. If we will walk in a fear of God, putting Him first, not giving Him our leftovers, what happens if we nurture and love and care for our families? What happens if we love the church and love our church family? What happens if we connect to the community that is around us and we break that huddle and we don't just keep the good news to ourselves, but we truly go and share it and, and live a godly life among some very ungodly workplaces that I know some of you work in? What would happen? What does happen? I'm crazy enough just to think and believe that if the people in this room would embrace and be as on fire as what God calls us to in every aspect and every way, that guess what? All of a sudden, there might just be Bible studies that take place at Royston Manufacturing. All of a sudden, there might be things that change at HTC. All of a sudden, people that used to maybe cuss up a storm, all of a sudden they realize, I can't do this around this man or woman of God, and, and they're going to stop doing that. Regardless of the reason, praise God. We just, one step at a time, right? Many of you have shared Kenny has shared Jesus, people on the side of the road and they're building paving projects. And it's, it's that kind of living out the gospel that God is calling us to. And if we do, God, what can God do? What can God do? Let me tell you, there will be no limit to the revival that God is able to do in our lives and beyond. And so blessings, our actions, our choices, our values, determine not just our lives, but determines those that are around us. If you would stand with me this morning.
to be able to take you so seriously that, God, we understand that you're with us at all times and so we can depend on you, we can call on you. And, God, we look to you and to you alone, God. And so, Lord, I pray that right now that, God, that you help us come bring us back to this place of surrendering everything to you. And as we do, oh, Lord, move in a mighty way. God, help us, not only as individuals, but help us in our families, help us in our church. God, help us in our community to let your light shine. God, we love you today. We praise you, and I pray blessings upon each and every family, each and every person that is here this morning. God, I pray for blessings upon dads. I pray for blessings upon those that are not able to be with dad or talk to dad today. God, let your spirit comfort them, strengthen them, and be with them, God, because you are our heavenly father, and we love you, and we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads.